Uh, before I get rolling, I just want to uh, just thank the Lord for those who uh, serve in our church. <clears throat> got a lot of people who do a lot of different things at a lot of different times, not just Sunday mornings, but uh, we do have people who do that, you know, children's ministry and impact team, and I'm making sure you guys have coffee so you stay awake during my uh, my messages. We appreciate that divine gift of coffee. Um, but thinking specifically, we had a Yesterday, I don't know if you saw the scaffolding out here, we finally, the weather broke so we could actually get working on that. And <clears throat> So Logan and, and Wyatt, the Connect Kids, and I think Stan was doing something. Uh, he was here. I think he got pizza for us. <clears throat> uh, Jay was there. Um, I probably missed somebody. I know Brian Fisher-Mock was out on the mower, uh, mowing. But um, when they tore the, <clears throat> we're gonna, that section out there is going to be rocked in. We're going to put rocks in it because the, the wood siding was all rotted out. So when we, well, when they, thank the Lord for young people, uh, when they tore everything off, um, oh, Lisa Thomas was there too, you were, I forgot about Lisa. Um, anyways, so when they tore it off, about two feet up from the ground, it was all rotted out. <clears throat> so they call, they call some hack, and um, if anybody knows, that's a carpenter, doesn't know what he's doing. And uh, so they called him over, <clears throat> and he put things uh, back into place as best as he could, and the Wyatt made sure he got it exactly how he needed to get it. Um, so anyway, I'm talking about myself. Uh, so I was over there, and I, I, I really was kicking myself because Wyatt finally said, Harold, can I get in there and can, you know, maybe help you out with that? And I'm like, yeah, I probably should have had you done that like a long time ago because it's underneath the scaffolding, you know, working around. So if I suddenly like freeze up, it's because my back's going to go into spasms because um, <laughs> uh, I'm not in good shape. Uh, just want to let you guys know. Anyways, but... Uh, thank the Lord. It's just really exciting because that's been a project we've had to put on hold because of COVID and stuff, and so it's exciting to be able to get that stonework put up. And uh, There's a bunch of guys that are going to be working this week after their full-time jobs, <clears throat> so um, it's if, uh, if you want to help with that, let Logan know. Anyways, well, 4th of July, today we celebrate this nation, our, our great nation of America, our, the American dream, right? Everyone's about the American dream is why people come to the United States for this American dream. And the founders, when they put this nation together, the form of government, which was, by the way, very unique, uh, they put it together so that people could have the possibility of experiencing what? Life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness, right? That's what it was all about. That people would be able to uh, experience the American dream, to be able to worship together without um, governmental oppression, and that we would live by the, the biblical truths that we find in God's Word. The fact that all men, all people were created in the image of God, and therefore everybody was equal. Nobody was better than anybody else. And that these things, including law and order, they they needed to be in place if the American dream was to be a success. See, he understood that God was, a, was an active God. He was a God who was actively involved in, in people's pursuits and people's lives. That he cared about what was going on. And it could only be achieved if we were willing to be moral people. And for instance, <clears throat> you know, one of the big things that's obviously in our country and, and is being brought up quite a bit is the whole issue of slavery. And 
Again, slavery was something that has been worldwide since the beginning of time. Since Adam and Eve first sinned, there was slavery in the world. The world was built on slavery. And so the United States, sadly you say, had its history with it. But here's what's so awesome about our nation. Our nation in the form of government that was put into place, this constitution who believed at its core that all men were created equal, was the place where the vast majority of states who didn't have slavery were able to, because of the form of government we had, force the fewer states that had slavery to end slavery. And so within a hundred years or less of the, the formation of our country, we were able to, as a country, moral people, Christians, the vast majority of them, were able to end slavery that had been going for centuries beforehand. We have an awesome country. Don't let people fool you that we don't have an awesome country. But here's the sad reality. That American dream, over the couple hundred years that we've been in existence, <clears throat> has been twisted. And it's been twisted into not just this pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, but it's been twisted into this self-absorbed pursuit of money and possessions. We, we've got people who, that's what life is all about. James is writing to Christians. We have Christians who think that way today. There's no thought of God in, the, in their lives. It's all about what they can get for themselves. The American dream was never to be done without God and His biblical principles. It was never to be about grabbing all you can get, no matter who you might hurt. So you may be asking, okay, Harold, <clears throat> I don't... Great, uh, you know, amen, even if you want to throw that one out. But how does this relate to James? <clears throat> of all things, James, first century, you know, 48 AD. How does this relate to James? Well, Amazingly enough, believe it or not, this kind of attitude that's now has been twisted into our culture, that's been around forever. And in the first century, just like it is today, there are Christians who were living this way, thinking this way, pursuing life this way. <clears throat> These attitudes aren't new. It just happens to be happening in our nation. So James deals with these attitudes beginning in James chapter 4, verse 13. And we're going to look at 4.13 through into chapter 5 a little bit. And so as you're turning there, it's page 1210. If you're using the Bible in the seats, <clears throat> I want to go back one. I want to rem remind ourselves of some things here. So just three points to remember as we're going through this. And as we've gone through James, we have this overriding truth <clears throat> that our works don't save us, but they show whether we're saved or not. So we know that salvation is through faith in Christ. God saves us when we place our faith in Christ. But the Bible also says when a person does that, there is a change that happens. That change is to become more like Christ. That's what God is doing once he saves us, is to make us more like Jesus Christ. Less like ourselves, more like Christ. And so James, one of his big purposes for writing is to say, hey, second point, you need to evaluate this. You who profess to know Christ, you who say you're a Christian, does your Christianity, does your life line up with this? Because God is the one who determines what a Christian is, right? <clears throat> He's the one who causes us to be a Christian. 
he says what a Christian's life is supposed to look like. I'm not saying we're perfect, but we're moving towards being more and more like Jesus Christ, living with his attitude or his thinking, with his actions. And then last week we talked about this whole thing of wisdom. <clears throat> so there's earthly wisdom, and so that's, that's when we live life based on what everybody else has taught us in our lives, who, you know, doesn't matter who they are, but they tell us how to do life, and then wisdom is taking that knowledge and applying it to our lives. That's earthly wisdom when we use whatever people on this earth has, have given us. <clears throat> Godly wisdom or heavenly wisdom, wisdom from above that James calls it, is when we take information that God's given us from the Bible and we apply that to our lives. That's how Christians are supposed to be living. Looking into the Bible, asking God, help us understand how we're supposed to apply this to our lives, and then doing that, of course, with his strength, the Holy Spirit in us, and his word directing us. So today, as we hear these words, we need to hear them, take them in, we need to evaluate them, and we need to determine, okay, which, which wisdom am I using? If I've called myself a follower of Christ, a Christian, which wisdom am I using? And so there's going to be two wrong attitudes that we're going to see here and how they apply um, to, our, to our lives that, that applied back in the first century. Again, he's talking to Christians here, but the, the two attitudes are, first of all, people plan is that there is no God. So James saw that happening with Christians in the church back then. <clears throat> well, that's what's happening today in the world around us, but also potentially in the lives of some Christians. And secondly, because of that, because they don't believe God's there, then they live these self-absorbed lives. So those are the two attitudes we're going to talk about, and there's a solution to this. So James always gives us a solution, and we're going to look at what that is. But let me go ahead and read um, these first few verses here as we talk about this first one about <clears throat> not considering God. It says, now, come now, now in the Greek, it's kind of like, hey, hey, gather up, get in here. Or like President Biden would say, come on, man. You know, it's just, we got to get in. Let's hear this. But come on, man, you, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend the year there and engage in business and, of course, make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. So, you know, we actually have our life and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So now again, he's talking to Christians. So if you're sitting here this morning, you haven't placed your faith in Christ, and you're thinking, man, is this, the, is this what I should do? Here's a great, great time for you to be here and evaluate and say, if I place my faith in Christ, this is what God wants to do in and through me. So it's a great opportunity for you to kind of see what God expects of us um, who've, who've done what he's done for us. So we have these people and potentially Christians who are, are planning as if there's no God. And again, this is earthly wisdom. There's no consideration for God in the planning and, and scheduling of life. And not only are they planning, but of course we're going to be successful in it. Right? No one ever goes... Well, I'm going to do this, to do that, do this, do this, and then I'm going to fail. You know, I'm going to mess up my life. No, it's always, we always have this sense, that if, I, if I plan enough, you know, if I schedule things enough, if I work out all the details and I get it down to the nth degree, and ah, I'm going to have success. It's just, 
sensitive as long as I plan. But James is like, wait, wait, you do that, but do you realize you don't even know what tomorrow holds? Hello, COVID. Hello, health issue. I got a call this week or a text this week that another person in our church family found out that they have lung cancer. They weren't planning on that the day before. And what if they had been planning for a year from now? That's all out the window at this point. Right now, we've got to take care of the, the health issue or people who lose their jobs. You know, usually at this point, what I'll do is I'll yell real loud. And you guys would be like that. I'd say, see, you didn't know that was coming. But I'm not going to do that to you. I did it to the men at the men's Bible study a few weeks ago. And a couple of them had to leave. And, <clears throat> and then they came back later. I'm not sure why, but they had. Um, but I'm not going to do that to you. But that, that's the point. You don't know what's coming down the pike. And we can all look at our lives and see where that's the case. And so to be making these plans, and yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and, and I'm going to have success in it, James is like, don't you really know? You don't even know what tomorrow holds. And by the way, your life is a vapor. Have you, have you paid attention to fog? You can't grab fog. You know what I'm saying? You can see it, but you can actually see through it. You can't grab it. There's no substance to it. I told Pastor Kevin, I said, hey, you guys had that little fog machine down. You should, you know, talk, to, talk about it, you know, because fog kind of floating around by his feet, you know, potentially. So you could be talking about how, you know, no substance. And then there's no lasting effect. Well, there would be. If we had it in here, we'd probably start choking. But that's besides the point. But with mist or with steam or, you know, that's kind of what this word is. And his point is this. Life without God... You might think you're building something, but it's got no substance, no real substance. It's only going to last however long you are alive. Because when you go, someone else is getting your money. Someone else is taking your dream. You just, I mean, just think about some of these businesses, or some of these colleges, some of these organizations, even Christian ones. You know, that the founder, the person who got the thing rolling, they, they die, and what happens? Those organizations go off in different directions. Colleges go off in different directions. Businesses go off in different directions. They only last for however long you're alive. And if, if God's not in it, it literally just lasts as long. So there's no, there's no longevity to it. You're not, there's no lasting impact. It's a vapor. And according to verse 17, Christians, we should know better. And if... If we who know, should know better are not doing that, he says that's arrogance on your part. That arrogance is evil. That arrogance is sin. And we need to deal with it. We need to evaluate and say, am I doing that? So God's not saying that planning is wrong. <clears throat> planning throughout Scripture is encouraged. It's the planning without God's will God's purposes in mind. So, what does God's will look like? What's God's wisdom? He says, well, if the Lord wills, the Lord wills. If He wants me to do this or that, then I'm going to do that or this. It's, it's, James actually backs the truck up a little bit, and he says, first of all, if the Lord wills, we will live. And what he's saying there is, God's got our very lives in His hand. 
It's not we have this life that we're doing and be bopping along and then he's going to provide for us. No, he's got our very life in his hand. When we die, he determines where we go. And he determines what happens in our lives. So if the Lord allows me to live, then I will go do this or that. See, the truth is this, that God owns everything we have. We may not believe it, we may not think it, but the truth is, God owns everything we have. He owns the house that he's given us. He he owns the finances that we receive from the jobs that he's given us. He's given us our families. Everything we have, he's allowed us to have. He meets our needs. Every one of us, look. we all look pretty good this morning. Our needs have been met. And so many of our wants, but it's still all God's. And it's to be done for his purposes, for what he wants to do in and through us. Again, talking to those who have placed their faith in Christ. That's what why he has saved us, if you want to put it in those terms. Here's an interesting thing that as you read through Scripture, you'll, you'll find this. We've talked about this quite a bit because we see it throughout Scripture. And God is really good at saying, I am going to meet your needs. <clears throat> Christian, I will meet your needs. Again, so if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. God's promising you place your faith in him. He promises he's going to meet your needs. He's going to take care of you. He'll do it in a bunch of different ways, including a church family who's around you and helping you. You know, he's going to meet your needs. But here's the thing. It's always I'm going to meet your needs so you can do what it is I've called you to do in this world. Because we have a greater purpose for why we exist now when we place our faith in Christ. And it's not to fulfill our lives. It's not to make our lives some better version of our lives. It's for us to do what God's called us to do. We have this incredible mission before us of drawing people to Christ for salvation. He says, you have that focus. I'm going to give you whatever it is that you need to accomplish that. So if, if the Lord wills, and so we plan based on what God is going to do in and through us and asking him then to provide for that. But, but people who don't have that mindset, then they have this other wrong attitude, and it's again connected to the American dream, and that's found at the beginning of chapter 5. <clears throat> he says, again, come on, man, you rich Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts or armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Again, he's talking to people who call themselves Christians. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man, and he does not resist you. Now, there's sometimes where I'll, you know, we'll read that and, and we'll sit here and go, oh, I thought he's talking to me, but he's talking to rich people. And so this doesn't apply to me. So I'm just going to check out until Pastor Harold's done. And, no, you can't check out. Because here's why. 
Back in the first century, there was truly the wealthy and the poor. You know, today we have the middle class, the vast middle class. But there was the wealthy, the people who owned all the businesses, and then there were the poor, many of whom were Christians. There were some wealthy Christians as well, but there were some, most Christians back then were poor. There was no middle class. You either had money or you didn't have money. And those who did have money were to pay those who didn't have money because if they didn't get their money that day, they didn't eat that day. See, we have refrigerators and freezers and processed food and Twinkies. And they, are Twinkies still around? Are they? Oh, good. Okay. I don't, I, don't, I don't eat those anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've got stuff that lasts for a long time. They didn't have that. And so if they didn't have their money, they didn't have food for the day. Today, we're all wealthy. We're all rich. We all have money. Some may have more money than others, but we all have money. Even those who are poorest among us have money and access to money. We are a wealthy country. The poorest in our country are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. So they had two classes back then. We have money, all of us. And so he's saying to all of us as Christians, and if we're thinking the way the world thinks, then he's saying, hey, listen, you need to weep and howl. That's the command there. Weep and howl. Now, if you remember, we talked about this last week and the whole idea of what do we do if we're doing life um, our way and rather than God's way. And God says, well, you need to come back under me and do life my way. And what do you do? Well, you, you repent of that. And repentance has this idea of being sorrowful. Realizing, man, I'm not doing life God's way. I'm sinning against him. The one who died on the cross for me, I'm sinning against him. And that's a sad thing. And I need to be sad about that. And I need to I need to be serious about it, and I need to stop doing it. And so he's saying, hey, listen, if you're doing this, you need to weep and howl. You need to repent and get your life back the way God wants you to be doing life because that's the best life possible. It's, it's not the wealth that's the issue. It's the use of wealth that's the issue. It's what we're doing with the wealth God gives us. They were using their money to hoard they were buying so much food that it was rotting. Flies. They were buying clothes and putting it in their closets with the tags still on them. And the moths were eating them because they were never wearing them. Their money was just sitting there so much so that it was beginning to rust. They didn't have dollar bills. You know, our dollar bills now, they start getting a little bit funky, right? They get a little bit deteriorated. And, I mean, right? I don't have any. So I'm just wondering, do you guys... kidding. So they're, they're selfish misuse. They're hoarding. They're, they're being self-absorbed and getting more and more stuff. He said it's going to be evidence against you. What do you mean by that? Well, Jesus even talked about there's going to be a day where we stand before him. And, and what's going to happen for these people who say they're Christians, but they don't realize that there's a different way in a and, and it's supposed to respond differently with the finances that God gives us, those who are self-absorbed, they're going to demonstrate to him that maybe they really didn't place their faith in Christ. Now again, how we handle money doesn't save us, but those who have placed their faith in Christ, we handle money differently. That's the point he's trying to make. 
And just like those who stood before the Lord and said, Lord, Lord, he said, I don't even know you. You didn't demonstrate that you were different. You didn't show that you had a relationship with me and how you lived your life. So this is going to be evidence. It's piling up. That it was so bad and they were so self-absorbed that they were holding, withholding money from those that they, they were owed. Those who worked for them. They were withholding that. They were, no, we're not, because we got, we got more stuff to buy. We've got some more stuff to pack in our closets in order for it to deteriorate. It's just strange thinking, but it's how people think. If you don't have God as the God of your life, what are you going to do? Jesus said you're going to have money as the God of your life. And you're going to serve the money. You're going to chase after money. You're going to pursue money. He said you're living a luxurious or living luxuriously in a life of wanton pleasure. It means to be self-indulgent, self-focused. This is what their life was all about. And in the end, that's going to be judged. He's going to look at that. Their choices, he said, condemned others and put the righteous to death. <clears throat> now, what's he mean by this? Well, it could very well, like last week we were talking about, um, or two weeks ago we were talking about the tongue, and how our words kill. And we said, well, you know, it's probably not you know, these fights that we get in that we actually kill people. They're not shiving people in the you know, church lobby. Uh, but it, it's disastrous or it's, it's destructive in the relationship. So that could be the case here and probably is. But it could also be, in some cases, that them withholding the money from others, if they're believers holding, withholding the money from other believers, because it's talking about the righteous man, that they're causing some of their fellow Christians to die because they're not getting the money that they need for the day to eat the food that they need. And if that happens over a period of days, someone gets sick in the middle of that or, or whatever, so they could very well be that their choices are causing Christians to die. They're, they're, not that we should allow anybody to die, but it's a Christian doing this to a Christian, which is kind of like complete opposite of the love of Christ, right? God's point is, by your actions being self-absorbed, you could show that you truly don't understand what the gospel is all about. You may say that you are Christian, but you've never truly placed your faith in Christ because it's not changing who you are. So James finishes up with some heavenly wisdom. Okay, you ready for some heavenly wisdom? That's a little kind of depressing, isn't it? Kind of. Stomping on toes. Let's get to some, some heavenly wisdom. So what do we do about it? So God says, therefore, because God's going to deal with this abuse, he said he's going to take care of it, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for their precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains, talking about you know the, the harvest coming and having all that. Jesus Christ coming is kind of an awesome thing. You too be patient. Second time he said it. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Second time he said it, which means he's emphasizing something here. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. 
So the heavenly wisdom, the, 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 the solution to the issue, he says to be patient and wait for the coming of the Lord. What, what does that mean? Wait for the coming of the Lord. What he's talking about here is, as Christians, we, we're, gonna, we're supposed to live for eternity. With, with eternity in our minds. Because Jesus Christ is coming back one of these days, the Bible tells us. And at that point, this earth ends and we spend eternity in heaven. Now, those of us who place our faith in Christ, that's set for us. So what does the rest of our lives become? Trying to find some, you know, some uh, happiness and, and getting more and more stuff like we did before we came to Christ? No. It, it's, it's to live using what God has given us in order to help other people come to know who Jesus Christ is. That's what the purpose is. That's what our life is all about. We live for eternity. We think about eternal things. The fact that our friends and family and co-workers, there are some of those who when this life ends will be spending eternity in hell. We don't want that for them. So God says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to give you a house. I'm going to give you a car or two maybe if you need it. I'm going to give you some clothing because you need it. And, and I'm going to give you some finances so you can pay for all those things. And I'm going to give you AC. Most of you have AC and hopefully all of you have heat. And I'm going to help you pay for those things. But whatever is above and beyond your needs, when, God, when I give that to you, that's not to go pile up a bunch of stuff that's going to rust and deteriorate. That's to be put towards doing stuff for, for God and helping you know, being used by God, meeting needs and impacting people for Christ. So it's not about getting more and more stuff for us. God doesn't give us good health so we can go to work every day so we can buy more stuff for ourselves. That's what he saved us from. He lets us do that so we can make an impact for Christ. Eternity is the only thing that lasts. Everything we purchase is going to deteriorate. It's going to end. And if it lasts longer than we're alive, somebody else is going to take that. And they're going to do something with it. The only thing that lasts is what's in, we end up in heaven with us, the people that end up in heaven with us. So he says twice, be patient. And then he adds on, strengthen your heart. Why? Because patience, and he's talking about here suffering. Doing like this way is not easy. He gets it. So he says, be patient. Hang in there. I know it's not easy because everybody else is telling you, don't do that. Live for yourself. Do stuff for yourself. He says, be patient. Patiently endure the suffering. Because sometimes we have to make decisions for ourselves that are hard that we don't like that we kind of look at as suffering. Kim and I have had to make decisions like that all throughout our lives. But one of the great blessings of that is like, hey, uh, should we do this or that? You know, can we buy this or that? And we'll be like, nope, neither of them, because we don't have the money for it. It makes life so much easier. You know, I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to, you know, have to fix some sort of, a, you know, toy that I want to buy. I mentioned the 72 vet in the 9 o'clock service. That was bad. We didn't record that, did we? Um, you know, I joke about, or no, I'd like to have a 72 vet one of these days, but that's not what my life is focused on. If I never have it, who cares? I'll maybe have one in heaven driving around. But, you know, it makes life a lot easier when you have heaven as your focus and what you do and 
how you spend your finances. It says, strengthen your heart, again, for the coming of the Lord is near. And that's something that God does. We've learned that. God is the one who strengthens our heart. Because again, people are going to be telling us, this is crazy. Doing life God's way, people are going to tell you you're crazy. But we do it God's way, because eternity is at stake. Not our eternity, because we've placed our faith in Christ, but other people who are watching us. He says, then he says, do not complain against one another, which is kind of interesting. He keeps going back to these relationships. Because a person who is impatient, how do they typically respond to people? This word complain means to kind of murmur. It's to, it's to be this interior, just irritating frustration with people. He says, man, don't, don't complain. Don't be irritated and frustrated with people. Whether it's, it's you think people should be doing things differently, you're irritated with them, or you just generally irritated because you've got to do life God's way. Don't, don't do that. The judge is at the door. Jesus is there. He sees. He's coming. He's going to work it all out. And then he gives us this encouragement about the prophets and Job's, Job. And his, his point is there is those who've endured, it's the same word that we looked at back in James chapter 1, right? The various trials. And that in, causes us to have endurance. In other words, we grow spiritually. He says, remember the prophets of the Old Testament. Remember Job. They went through difficult times. They did life God's way. They sacrificed a lot. Job lost everything. And yet, God honored them. He blessed them. He blessed them because they saw that in the end, he is compassionate and that he's merciful. Job, he graciously gave back everything and then some to Job. He didn't have to do that, but he did it. Because Job went through that struggle. And it's interesting, if you know the story of Job, we went through it in a series, God never um, judges or condemns Job's response. Job's questioning and, and challenging God and wanting to know more and understanding why is this happening, blah, blah, blah. God never judges him. He judges his friends for judging Job. And so we can go to God and just, and just lay it out there for him because he knows our heart anyways. And we just lay it out there for him knowing that God's going to, to bless that. And we're going to see that he's a compassionate God and that he's a merciful God. He's going to work out the details, provide what we need. So what are the takeaways? As the, the band comes up, got uh, three things to consider, a couple questions, and then just a statement. First one is this. Have you been making plans without considering what God wants to do in and through you? Are you, are you just kind of thinking, well, you know, here's what I got. Okay, so, uh, okay, kids, uh, you got to get the best grades. And you're cramming grade, 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 grade. Why? Because you got to get into the best school. Why? Because when you get to the best school, you get the best job. Why? Because you get the best job, you get the best pay. Well, maybe we don't push that way. And I'm only using this as an example because uh, thank the Lord for the godly parents that we had. You know, my parents, and, and I, this isn't a thus say it to the Lord. I'm just telling you how it worked. Then my parents said to us, hey, uh, you go do your best because God's got whatever he's going to do for you in your life. Just follow God, do your best, because God's got things figured out down the road. Just be faithful. Train up your child in the way you should go, and when he gets older, he will not flee from, or will not, he will return to it. However, it says, here I'll be a paraphrase. So Kim and I raised the same way that way. When we had kids, we did that with our kids. 
And that took a lot of the pressure off, by the way. The kids did fairly well in school. But we didn't ever say, you know, cram that. Boom, 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 boom. Why? Because you've got to get into bad school. And it's all this pressure, all this pressure, all this pressure. Because we didn't know if they'd even live to see adulthood. Do your best. Do it for God. And God's going to take care of whatever's coming down the pike. And that goes for all of us, not just raising kids. All of us. Do your best. Do life God's way. Because you may think you got some plan. I never thought I'd ever be back in Northwest Ohio. Never. And I had plans in Colorado. Whoo, did I have plans. And then they fell apart. Even though a job was said, supposedly I had a job. They said, You're gonna, this is going to be your job. And started banking on it because it was going to be my job. They said it was going to be my job. And then all of a sudden they hired somebody else. And then brought me back here. So it's good for me. I don't know about you guys, but it's good for me. Point two. Where, thank you very much, Rick. Appreciate it. What, where in your life, secondly, where in your life are you wasting the finances God has given you that you're supposed to use to represent Christ and draw people to Christ? We've got to start looking at our finances. Okay, God, you give me so much. Do I need it all? And whatever I'm having, am I, am I wasting it? Do I need to be changing up how the finances you've given me? Do I need to change it up? And then thirdly, here's the deal. God saved us not for a better version of our life, but for his purposes. He's not, he's not saying, hey, here, I'll come to me, and I'm going to give you a, you know, a bigger house, and I'm going to give you that crew cab dually that's you know, $75,000. That's all yours, buddy. I want you to have a better life. No, it's not about that at all. It's about, hey, I'm going to give you what you need to represent Christ and draw people to Christ. In that, you're going to find the best life you could possibly have. But it's in that, doing life God's way, thinking about eternity, drawing people to Christ. Ben, why don't you close us? You can all stand.